I, I read a quote from, <clears throat> excuse me, from Harvey. Henry, I think. Do, do that again. Yep. Start that again. I have something to say. You're listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Newnham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome back to I Might Be Wrong. You have got myself, Rich, and Henry is joining me this week. Hello. And with us, we have a guest. So Keisha, Keisha Thomas is a friend of mine. We've known each other for quite some time now. She is a Pilates expert and a mental health dietary expert. You, you tell us, Keisha, what, what is it that you do? <laughs> Well, thank you, first of all, for saying Pilates and not yoga, which I think is often the correction I need to make. So I'm a Pilates instructor and I'm a nutritionist and I specialise with eating disorders. Yeah, eating disorder recovery. And so Keisha and I met years and years ago when we both worked at the same business, stayed in touch because we're both Liverpool fans. And yeah, we we both have a a shared passion about music, but quite different music, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, we had a discussion after Craig had come on and talked about Kano and the grime scene and had mentioned Garage as one of the inspirational scenes for grime. And you and I had a conversation. Obviously, I've known you go to a lot of Garage festivals and things like that over the years. So, yeah, I thought it'd be great to have you on to talk a bit more about that stuff. So so who have you got for us? Who are the, who are the band and what's the album that we're going to discuss? It was a difficult one because I wanted to talk about UK Garage. And then when we think about sort of albums for UK Garage, it's normally compilations. But I wanted to really focus on one band. And this band was uh, the So Solid Crew. And the album was their first album, They Don't Know. Cool. And I guess with Garage, it's a bit like grime in terms of the scenes driven more by the raves and the festivals than necessarily the album releases. Do you know what? I don't know. I guess now, yes. I think now for sure, yeah. It's more about sort of the festivals and not even not so much clubs. So, yeah, I guess it is mostly festivals. Yeah, and not so much the album releases. No, I think so sort of a little bit ahead of the game on that one. Not many did what they did. Well, it was really weird with So Solid because I found them through, through like Radio 1 and, <laughs> and I had no idea what to expect. So they they just appeared and they were suddenly they went from nowhere and my perception is who is this kind of crowd of people producing this music from nowhere and they're suddenly all over the radio stations and they're massive and in my head it's like have they been produced has some record label gone <laughs> let's try and copy what's going on in the states and try and create something mm. or what so for an outsider from that kind of that style of music i they were just completely new yeah, which is so interesting to hear, actually, because for me, it's like they came out into the charts and we all knew about them for years and years and years and years and years because we had been listening to them on all the pirate radio shows and we see them in the clubs. Yeah, so when So Solid were big was when MCs were huge in Garage. So Garage, once more time, wasn't much about MCs. And then around, I don't know, about the time when I started work, work. So in the early 2000s, around 2000, MCs were just huge. It was all about the MC. Not all, it wasn't all about the MCM, but the MC part was key in Garage. So we knew them from the clubs. 
we knew them from the pirate radio station so you're there with your little cassette tapes trying to like <laughs> just a lot of illegal activity it's like it's a pirate radio station you're also recording the music it's all that going on but you know that's that's how we knew of them so when they actually came out with an album it was just so surreal because these were like guys that you felt like you knew I didn't I don't know them and I didn't know them but because they were just from you know I was from West Kensington some were from Battersea Clapham Junction that area they were like guys you could know so to see them actually you know first album platinum platinum's uh, single as well it's just like, it's just insane it was just so weird it was just like wow really inspiring in a in a very strange way but it was very inspiring and that's one of the things that i think i was probably the same as henry i really only noticed them when they popped up as as part of that that kind of initial wave of promotion around that album and it would have probably been 21 seconds on top of the pops or something like that that, yeah first thing that i saw i remember when they appeared before that the uk scene seemed to be kind of it was kind of craig david and it was quite friendly and nice and then this happened and it went right through british culture so the politicians didn't like it they were like hang on a second this has got a a slight edge to it which the previous garrison didn't have and it it was just it was that little bit different could you see see that coming from a long way off did you always was that always there or because it was just interesting how it just suddenly for me just mm. bam suddenly there's this garret this this kind of slightly darker scene and and I, it's like where did that come from yeah i don't know i don't know i guess when you listen to mcs there's so many different types of MCs and a lot of them talk in this sort of fantasy way where they do glamorise, you know, um, illegal activity. Um, mm-hmm. So there is, there is that going on. So it wasn't so much of a shock, no, because you do hear it in Garage with the MCs. It's really strange. I was having this conversation on my Facebook a couple of months ago talking about this rapper who who had got shot pop smoke. And I was saying when I listened to what he was saying in these songs, I was kind of like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I, I like the song. But it's not until I sat down and listened to what he was saying. I was like, goodness, this is a uh, wow. <laughs> I don't know how OK I'm admitting to uh, listen to this. And I kind of put it out there and we kind of ha- had a really good discussion about it. And it's a similar thing for these guys. You know, what they talk about, I, you know, a lot of it is just coming from just it's all fantasy. Some of it is from I, I mean, I don't want to come out of anything but get myself held up for libel but do you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> it's all right we're, we're not getting sued for libel on this we'll, podcast we'll assume would. it's fantasy <laughs> but that I was I understand why that would that probably raised a few eyebrows but for me no it wasn't such a <gasps> because it was yeah. like I mean yeah that's what they said that's it's what they yeah and I think from my perspective that's something that I've seen across garage across grime is this element of UK London gangster or wannabe gangster type mentality and I think when Craig came on and introduced us to Kano one of the things that was fascinating around that was it felt more real he Mm. was talking about situations that he was aware of being on the edge of all that criminal activity the drug dealing the stuff that you see I've been watching Top Boy as a, a recommendation from Craig that he he suggested probably a year ago now and I had it on my list and finally I've got around to to actually watching it and you can see how Kano would be on the edge of that activity and seeing what's going on and and talking about it from that perspective so just because they're singing about that stuff or rapping about that stuff doesn't mean they're necessarily involved but they're Mm. very aware of it and it's it's a big part of that London working class culture that you are 
at least on the edge of it, if not involved. I mean, what we can say is for sure that a lot of them were involved in that. So Mega Man, who sort of dreamed up, literally dreamt up so solid crew, it came to him in a dream when he was in prison. And, you know, Winstanley Estate, where a lot of them came from, is an estate that when I was growing up, I would not walk through that estate. I would not because it was known to be it was notoriously known just about to be. And I think even more recently, it's been in the news for Mm -hmm. issues. You know, so it's it's an estate that you do associate with. I might get mugged. And I can say that quite safely because I think anyone who lives in London knows Winstanley Estate and knows it for for those things. And that's not to say anything about those who live there, but that is what it is known for. And a lot of them did live there. And yeah, and I think it's it's well documented that a lot of them have been involved in in certain crimes as well. But that in itself, for me, it's inspirational in the sense that that's what they came from. And look what they made. What they've done is when you think about it in terms of like UK garage scene, where they came from, where they where they got to was just fantastic. So I, I read a quote from Harvey, who I think is one of the members, and he said that the that they went so stratospheric they became so so big that he said it was it was weird he said there were no other rappers in in the uk charts and so he'd be going on top of the pops next to kylie minogue and he's like (laughs) how do you adjust from going from literally the streets to suddenly this this huge fame which i think that the 21 of them and and i I guess more because they did kind of grow didn't they i think um how do you adapt to that yeah exactly and you know what what do people do when they go from not having much money to having a lot of money and a lot of attention it's interesting there were 21 of them there were so many members in the so solid crew to the point where if you ask those in the so solid crew they didn't know how many members they were all (laughs) given various numbers like oh 31 it's 30 it's 35 so some were signed to a label and some were unsigned. So some would, were signed to, I think, they were EMI at the beginning and some would be off in the clubs and just doing the more MC and part. Blah, blah, blah. So 21 seconds, and this is me doing my research, 20, I didn't just notice off the bat, 21 seconds was about Mega Man giving back to those who weren't on the label. So he was saying, right, everyone is getting on this and you all get 21 seconds. 21 seconds being eight bars. So they all get to spit eight bars. And so that's what that was all about. <laughs> nice. nice yeah see i i had no idea what that reference was when when i was listening to that stuff and i guess i mean again it's another band group whatever you want to call it that i would have come across at a time when i probably wasn't very open-minded about that kind of music i dismissed 90s r&b and craig david as being <laughs> a bit boring and not very inventive <laughs> musically and just just wasn't my kind of thing which Looking back now, I'm sad that I wrote it off that that easily. I guess one of the things that, from my perspective, would be interesting to know is from from your kind of knowledge of of that that scene and the album. What are the tracks on the album that you would want to highlight as go to tracks that either are things that you would go back and listen to time and time again, or look forward to at a festival? The kind of hooks, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think there are just classics on there that you would just, if you heard 21 Seconds in a Club Now, guaranteed, you're going to go, like, you're going to get happy about it and you are going to dance. Like, this, you're not going to be like, oh, this song. It's like, oh, it, it, it still hits you now. It's, it's bizarre. Um, so that's, I mean, that's definitely one you, you couldn't talk about. So it's sort of a clue about highlighting that song. 
Oh, there's so many. So I guess the more obvious ones, things like um, the actual song, They Don't Know. That's brilliant. Something that I really liked about They Don't Know track was they talk about the money there. And they, and it's interesting because I hadn't noticed it until I listened to it recently, where they said they want to know about my dough. They want to know about my money. I don't spend it. I let it grow, which I just thought was phenomenal. I was thinking, well, this is smart. These guys aren't even <laughs> spending their money. What have they got investment? Sometimes if you listen to all lyrics, you do hear some interesting things. It's an interesting counterpoint to a lot of the more bragging gangster rap that you hear from LA. Well, if you look at who they influenced, the number of artists who cite them as a reason to do what they do. So you've got Dizzy Rascal, you've got mm. The Streets, you've got Kano, and, and all of them go back and they say the So Solid crew, and I think Oxide and Neutrino as well are part of that, they, they say they were... They were a real reason for doing what they do. And, and I guess part of it is that the lyrics are they're very different to the to the US style big money chat. It's a bit more it's it's more relevant to, to London. And and I and I think there's there's a lot of inspiration that comes out of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so relevant to London. And I think the other thing that sort of stands out for me throughout that whole album is they talk a lot about their haters. And they talk a lot about that and people being envy, envious. Um, envy is one track I really like on that um, album. But they talk about their haters. They talk about people being envious. And it's that thing where, you know, if somebody wants to do something with their life, like somebody's got a dream and they want to see it fulfilled, there is this idea that they think they're going to be judged by, I don't want to say haters, but by people. And that whole thing where they were in the limelight talking about their haters. And it's kind of that thing where it's, you know, just sort of saying, forget about all that get on and do what you want to do basically which was so inspirational yeah and there's definitely an element of that kind of thing any anyone who's doing creative work there will be people who will want to shit on it and yeah. whether it's because they're envious that they're doing something that someone else can't do they are other artists who feel like they are more talented even though they're potentially not there's there's all these factors that will drive that so and haters is probably one of the two tunes that I would have known before listening to this album before there's a couple others that I really like so whoa is yeah that's, that's a bit of a tune <laughs> thank, thank you that's yeah I'm not good with this we discovered this on the uh, on the Kano podcast um yeah, but yeah the, Craig told you not to say spitting beats didn't he you're not allowed spit, to do spit, that spitting spit rhymes he said ne- never to say it ever again Aww. so sorry Craig I've just broken that rule <laughs> but the other one that I really that was sort of fascinating to me so I've listened to a bunch of Kano since we did that that episode just purely because I've enjoyed the creativity and and the different music that I'm that I can get into there um listening to Ride With Us there's echoes of that or it feels to me like there's echoes of that in Kano's Mic Check 1-2 also I love the Knight Rider theme sample there's, yes. there's no reason not to love that uh, yeah <laughs> But listening to that track, I was immediately reminded just just the the samples and the the delivery feels quite similar to that kind of Kano early work where mm. he's sitting across that garage and grime scene at the same time because it's that 2005 period where both were still fairly big. Yeah, there was a slight merge and then a and then I guess a bit of a demise of garage and a, and a, and a rise of grime. So that ride with us song. The other thing that people who often wouldn't know about So Solid is about their videos. So if you, if you haven't watched any of their videos, 
go and watch their videos because it was like nothing again like nothing you've ever seen a 21 seconds video I don't know how much they spent on it but it was ridiculous and it was like it's like watching a movie you're just like what is going on here like how what this is garage you know (laughs) this is UK garage so ride with us 21 seconds like watch those two videos and you will be blown away even now it looks fantastic yeah, I, I watched the video for 21 seconds and I hadn't until now. I didn't know of it. And and it makes me think even more. At that time, that was bonkers. It was such a strange thing to come out of nowhere. And all of the the established people in the charts, they all had their music videos. And then this, this came out of literally blindsided the entire, well, everyone in the UK. The, the charts, it went straight to the top of the charts. The government started weighing in saying we don't like so solid crew because they're all scaring the children and <laughs> and get, get garage music didn't like it because it was like this change in scene in, in style mm. it's really interesting yeah because i think a lot in a, you know so there was a couple of the interview that it was but asha d who i think is a fantastic example of somebody who came from a challenging background and has gone on to do amazing things you know he's he's done time and he's come back and he's done he did some t- he did a um some training at the sylvia young school and that's why he's so good at acting that's why he's so brilliant and top boy but he didn't have much belief in that 21 seconds song so he was just like i mean is this really <laughs> gonna work <laughs> he had no idea it was gonna get to number one so it is that thing where yeah other people in the garage scene were probably like because he was like it sounds like pop he said he's like this is pop this is even garage now so what are we what are we actually doing and I mean yeah it got to number one the UK charts and the UK dance chart which is interesting as well yeah the the whole thing with people slating that stuff because it's too poppy it highlights a scene that would otherwise stay underground and probably mm. not be that well known and often you find those things are a bit of a gateway you know you're fortunate from that perspective in that you grew up in west london you were aware of the scene you you knew where to go for the pirate radio shows and that kind of stuff to to be able to listen to that stuff anyone outside of london this is probably one of their first exposures to that part of the garage scene there'd there'd been stuff in the i guess late ish 90s so sweet like chocolate and stuff like that that's sort of on that boundary between 90s r&b and garage but i don't Mm. know whether you'd consider that to be garage yeah sweet like chocolate was garage but i guess that that song i have a little bit of a i don't know that's the one that i don't dance to when it comes on the club (laughs) is that what we say now when it comes on in the club when it you know if i'm in a rave and that comes on it doesn't do it for me because it got so overplayed and it got really commercialized Mm-hmm. Well, somehow I don't feel like that happened with So Solid. I don't know why that is, but I really felt like So Solid just really maintained it's what it was, in my opinion. Whereas Sweet Like Chocolate for me was just like, uh, I just felt like <laughs> it really got, I don't know, overplayed. And so even now when I hear it in a club and I see people dance, I'm just thinking like, listen, garage, man, like you guys don't even know. I mean, but yeah, it is garage. Essentially it is. It's more like, the t- I guess it's more the two-step garage, but yeah. Yep. So were you already listening to, to garage at, at that point when Sweet Like Chocolate so you'd been listening to that scene for a while before that already so for me Garage is my secondary school as in my <laughs> secondary school era <laughs> went to actual school <laughs> so Garage for me is secondary school so from about 93 94 all the way up to the end I left secondary school in 1998 
you, did you guys have a national record of achievement? Did you have to do this? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And you have to type up your little personal statement. Yeah. So why is it in my personal statement that one of my pastimes was I go raving? Like I go, <laughs> oh, who writes that? I read it recently and I was like, why did they sign this off? Why did I get a signature on this? Is that I went raving. So literally in year 10 and 11, I was out there clubbing. I was going to Gas Club, Capital Club in Leicester Square, actually raving to, to UK Garage. My, I guess the, the first influences for me were from, so I live out in the West Country and we've got the Glastonbury Festival there and jungle music was big out in the West Country for some reason. It's just kind of, so it's it's alternative. So things like Ronnie Size, all that stuff in the late 90s, that was big where I was, all, all the really cool kids listened to Ronnie Size. I, I didn't because I was too geeky, but they did. So it almost felt like it got up to the late 90s with that that scene and that kind of breakbeat scene and then everything disappeared so it is interesting to to suddenly it's almost like that movement suddenly started really kind of heating up in london and then it suddenly emerged out of nowhere it's it quite cool mm. yeah so with jungle drum and bass and garage it was one of those things where you would go to a club and there would be more than one room i don't think gas club had more than one room but a lot of clubs have more than one room as would often be where you have jungle in one room and then you'll have garage playing in another room. So it was very much that they would they came together. <laughs> yeah. But they were separated. But you would, you know, some people would, you know, go from one room to the other. It's a slightly different vibe, so it'd be a bit weird to do it too many times. But overall these two things came together. But I think Garage did stay more underground. It was General Levy and, you know, things like that who brought Jungle to the surface, Ronnie Size, of course, Goldie, lots of brilliant names. But then for UK Garage, it was underground for a while. So it's interesting for you. It kind of felt like it just, woo, hello, what's this? Yeah, yeah. But it's always been there. Yeah. Cool. And would you say that you were into that jungle drum and bass scene as well? Or was it was it like that was part of what you were listening to, but Garage was more of the focus for you? When I was younger, it was definitely more of the Garage. I think I listened to, I, yeah, it's interesting you say, because if I think about it, I do remember having quite a few drum and bass jungle CDs and albums. But for the most part, it was Garage. And for a long time, it was Garage. But what happened was they stopped making new Garage. And so I got more into drum and bass as a result and a little drum and bass and jungle. But yeah, if I if I go to a festival now, often there's a tent for Garage, there's a tent for drum and bass, there's a tent for jungle. And I would want to go to all those tents. <laughs> right. Yeah, because I, I got into the edges of drum and bass when I was in my mid-teens because I had a mate who who liked it, but it was so hard to find more of that music and really explore it that I sort of dropped it again and fell away from it. Because, I mean, as a massive Prodigy fan, mm. there's a natural relationship there between techno and drum and bass. And, and certainly early Prodigy has a lot of drum and bass influences. And it feels like some of the grime scene has drum and bass influences. It, it as a thread is very influential on a lot of scenes but it was so hard to actually find any of it that I sort of lost it at that point so that's something that I need to go back and explore that's really another, uh, yeah another time for another podcast maybe <laughs> yeah I just I find it quite I, I guess I just find it really fascinating that for you guys it, it got lost which is a little bit sad but it's exciting as well because you get to now rediscover it it's interesting to feel like it in some places felt like it got yeah like it went away or yeah it was went deep underground I guess is what happened yeah I used to have a big Aphex twin chi fx kind of enjoyment which was that was again older than the kind of the 2000s and I I don't know I, I think it's probably from living 
I'm going to school in summer, which is quite it's a bit alternative. And that scene was was kind of really into it. And then when I went to university in middle class Bristol, you just didn't see this stuff. So it was then you turn towards the the guitar bands and that's where Rich and I met and, and you just don't get exposed to it. We we didn't ever go to a in fact every single gig that we went to in Bristol, I think, or at least I did, was to a, a guitar band with probably a four piece, probably all white. It was all a bit it was samey. Well yeah. I think I think in Bristol we were like you say, we had a lot of those gigs. There were club night options. I went to a couple of D and B nights with a with a friend from one of the sports clubs that I went to, but our main group of friends in Bristol were very much mainstream musically minded. So the main club nights that we go to were things like those sports clubs. So wedgies for us, which was immensely cheesy. They The main room was just constant cheese. The, the second room played some other stuff, but it was such a mishmash that unless you wandered in there and they happened to be playing something that dragged you in, you probably wouldn't stay for very long. Mm. So yeah, it's just difficult to find those things if you're not hanging out with people that like that kind of music yeah because actually it's interesting because Bristol now in terms of drum and bass I don't know between London and Bristol who would win in terms of like who is more known for drum and bass but I think a lot of the a lot of the MCs and and, um, DJs talk about Bristol a lot yeah Bristol had a massive underground scene which I just didn't go to because I wasn't cool enough but right from the early 90s it really started then and I think that's always it's always carried on it's it's still there so it's just getting into it that's that's tricky when all your friends are like come on listen to I don't know S Club 7 play in this club (laughs) it's like okay let's do that again yeah it was it was just the group you could definitely have gone to those club nights but I'm not the kind of person that's going to go to a club night by myself I want to go with at least a couple of mates so you can have a, a good fun night together I mean, I remember going to a drum and bass night at Thecla, which was awesome. And Thecla is is still one of my favourite venues here. I've been, since I got back to Bristol a couple of years ago, I've been to Thecla probably half a dozen times, but it's all been for bands because I'm too old to go clubbing these days. For, for I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, but it's, again, it's finding people that I would want to go with. For those of you that don't know, Thecla's a boat. Oh, so wow. it's a it's a clubbing boat. <laughs> it is awesome. It's such a great venue. The only the only issue with it is that it's solid metal walls. So if you're in the main part of the club, you get zero signal. So you have to wander upstairs if you want to <laughs> send a text mid gig. But back to back to so solid because they they went so mainstream. It seemed like when they released the next album, it almost kind of was too much. And did they break up or did they fall apart a bit and then get back together? It seems like they Mm. were a unit in the early 2000s. And after that, they just, it almost felt like individual members of So Solid tried to all do solo careers and tried to kind of jump in and make their own little kind of niche for themselves. Is that what happened? You know, I genuinely don't know how it all sort of ended but everybody did just go off and do their own thing and I think certain members of the group did better than others so like Lisa Mafia is still I was gonna say live and kicking but still very active is what I want to say same for you know Harvey Romeo to a certain extent but Asher D I guess is the one that we all really think about as someone who has just really excelled and I'm probably forgetting some but they're the ones who come to mind but you know if I go to clubs raised now Oxide and Neutrino are still huge if they're billed that they are they are top built so that yeah they did just all I guess get different interests from different people I guess some are more quote-unquote marketable and so went on to have those solo careers 
I always felt like with Oxide and Neutrino, they were one of the artists that was able to adapt and change with the times and get involved in the different sounds because they they are influential on and involved in the grime scene and they mm-hmm. still seem to be relevant even to the the new kids that come in through today and doing trap and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know, with Oxide Neutrino, I can't remember how it worked with them. I don't think they were always a part of So Solid. So I think at one point they weren't, and then they were, and then they weren't. So, you know, it's kind of it's <laughs> such a big unit. You don't even know, so many moving parts. It's really hard to keep track as to what really, what really happened. But yeah, it all came from Mega Man, which is quite interesting because he's not the one we really talk about today. Right. Still around. And is there stuff that you, since getting into this scene and listening to this are there other things that you've gone on to listen to beyond the garage scene you you mentioned the fact that there's not a lot of garage music that's been made probably for the last decade or so is there other stuff do you stick with the old music that you've enjoyed back then or do you listen to you know some of the newer stuff as well I do listen to the newer stuff now like grime and stuff I went in kicking and screaming because I was like no no one garage back this isn't fair and la 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 I feel like it's gonna get forgotten and all the rest of it but I have to hold my hands up now and just say there's a lot of fantastic grime artists out there and the music it it, it slaps it really does work so yeah I mean when it comes to music for me genuinely I'm a massive music lover so I listen to you know almost everything I think I would stop at death metal but like for the (laughs) most part I listen to I will go to any live gig and I'm willing to you know be open and see you know what's going on with it um but in terms of that you know that sort of electronic music scene grime yeah I'm partial to bits of grime these days your younger sister is more into the grime than garage right so is that is that Um, sort of where some of that influence comes from as well I would say that my sister was more into the drum and bass than garage so when we go out we she's my little raving buddy so we go together so when we go out we go together so we have to be very sort of okay we're going to spend some time in the uh, garage tent and then we'll make but luckily for both of us we're both massive loves of drum and bass so that's where we do spend a lot of our time her knowledge on drum and bass is like phenomenal but that's her thing grime I guess she knows more grime because she's six years younger than me seven years younger than me in fact so that's more what she grew up I guess what she sort of grew into but she had a lot of influence from the stuff that I was listening to as well. I know you want to listen to what your big, what your big siblings listening to. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> cool. I mean, we, we always talk about live music as part of this, but we've already touched on a lot of that aspect of things. So it's really mostly through clubs and raves and things like that, that you've, you've been kind of seeing so solid and others in the scene. Yeah. Mostly through clubs Like you'll go to a club and there'll be, you know, you get your little flyer. This is way back when. You'd have your little fly and you'd see them build on there. You see who would be turning up. So it'd be people like Heartless Crew. That, I mean, they were the other ones. They kind of came through. Actually, it's interesting that the range has come up in conversation now, but you had like the Heartless Crew. So that was another sort of crew that came through, but didn't, <laughs> rhyming over here, but they didn't really uh, take off like So Solid did. But yes, yeah, so you'd see them build on the flyer and you'd go and they'll come in and do their little their little set and they leave. <laughs> and that would be it. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. I guess one of the one of the things for me that's interesting around how grime and garage and some of those things work is a lot of the time it's a looser format than so Henry and I see a lot of indie bands, guitar bands, that kind of thing, where you already know what the music is coming in because they have albums, they have music that they will play. Whereas with garage and with grime and things like that, often the DJs are they're just 
throwing in a beat and throwing in some music and then your MC is doing their thing on top of that which is Craig mentioned this the fact that that's why you don't necessarily see albums or didn't see albums from that early grime scene because that just wasn't the way the music was created yeah you got tracks and you got rhythms and you got then it's the MC and it's it's this it's similar now I guess if there's not a vocal or even if there's a vocal on a track you still have you could still have someone MC and over it it does just bring a different energy to the room when you've got an MC there versus when you don't at some point you're dancing to the MC's rhythm it's so right. bizarre like what you tune into when you're in that in that environment but the MCs do really hype up the crowd like if you've got a good MC on the mic and these MCs they often have like the you know they have you learn their you learn their lyrics and so you sing along with them it's just it's so but yeah I've never really thought about it until I heard on that particular podcast the Kano one that you did with Craig the role of the MC I hadn't really really thought about it but it's so 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 important and they're they're as big a star as the DJ yeah all right so we'll wrap it up with that really appreciate you coming on you can find us at i might be wrong uk on twitter we're on instagram now we are on facebook as well keisha where can people find you if they want to know more about your work and what you do uh you can find me on instagram at keisha thomas all my handles are keisha thomas so if you google me you will find me (laughs) it's an unusual name enough so (laughs) (laughs) well thanks for joining us really appreciate you coming on Brilliant. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.